because you have Spanish colonialism, you have U.S. colonialism, you got a colonial mess going on. So there's just so much to have to resist when you do teach Puerto Rican anything, Caribbean anything really too. And then you have the young adult story, you have uh, people who are fighting over the ideology that will be passed on to our young people, right? And so there's a real desire for for the, the history to be censored. Every generation has had people who have spoken and have, have spoken back and resisted. And I think that's the thing too, when a lot of students take my classes, they're like, wait, there was somebody in the 30s that was, you know, what? She, she said this, or in the 50s, you know, the revolutionary women, you know, that were working at the time, like Lolita Lebron, Blanca Canales, all these people that then people are like, how come I didn't know that? How come I didn't realize that this was going on? So you realize how important it is to also recover those past histories, right? That so, so we realize we're not the first ones. <laughs> we, we, are, we are just taking up something that, that people have seen for a long time. And, and it's important to know that you're connected to a larger you know, group of people that have seen this and have survived it in many ways. But I think that's why I do what I do. Hey everybody, this is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week we have a very special guest, La Doctora Marilisa Jimenez Garcia. How are you, Queen? Thank you. I am well. Thank you for Queen, Queen. Yes, you know, we have to be able to hold our crowns and support each other. On this journey, I believe, you know, shout out to Academic Twitter because that's how I came across you and we just connected and sharing our stories on our journey in this place that can be so challenging yet enriching, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am Absolutely. just glad to to know you. And it's funny because I knew you once again through Twitter and to come against across your work in my course, I was just like, hold on, let me get her on the mic. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, Marilisa Jimenez Garcia, and um, I am currently uh, an assistant professor of, of um, Latino studies and, and English at uh, Lehigh University that is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And then I, I say I'm a researcher and teacher. So I, I because I've always kind of been doing what I've been doing. It's just that I happen to do it now as a professor at, in this place, right? But um, I'm also, I also um, do a lot of work for education justice and, and that kind of thing. So I'm always looking for practical ways that we can take what we know in these spaces of higher education and how can we also implement K through 12 resources so that we don't have to take a, get a PhD in order to learn your history. <laughs> so that's me. That's the, and I'm also a Puerto Rican woman. So I was born in, in Bayamón, Puerto Rico. Never thought I was going to do what the work I'm doing. I, I was um, a typical English major, learned only Shakespeare and, you know, Milton and all these guys didn't really realize that our people had written anything till I was a PhD student, actually. You know, yeah, absolutely. So that was how I first found Puerto Rican literature, Puerto Rican scholars. And it was just like a whole new world for me. And it just changed my life. So I dedicated my my dissertation and, and career to that. And that's what I've done since then. But I did not think that that's what I was going to be doing. That is so interesting because I felt the same way. Like I was introduced to some African-American texts at the end, literally the end of my undergrad. And it wasn't until I started um, my master's in 
English, but since our program has the PhD in Caribbean literature, that's, those are all the courses I took. And once you said realizing that our people have written texts and they weren't talked and celebrated and you find this, you know, value, you just have to connect with yourself. How has connecting with Puerto Rican and Latinx literature changed your life? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm very spiritual about this. Like, I, I do think that this is like the purpose I was created for. Like, I, I literally still remember the first time I picked up a book by Pura Belpre, which a lot of people kind of know that I've done a lot of work on her. But, um, and it was in 2008. And her book is from 1931. Um, but I still remember like opening it up and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is what I'm gonna do from now on. Like, this is over. I don't want to hear about anybody else. Like, this is what I'm going to do from now on. But it just made sense to me and the way that it all fit together too. Like I could see we're going to start here and maybe we'll go this way. And it has been a whole career for me. I mean, I, I still have so many ideas of what I would like to do to continue talking about, especially Puerto Rican women writers. I just taught a class on Puerto Rican women writers, but it changed my life because it, it let me understand that I came from like this great legacy, you know, and I could just, I could know about it now, you know, not just sort of in, sort of sense, you kind of get a sense of this growing up around the people you do and in your family. I was able to connect like my understanding of knowledge of who I was with a space that I could have. Do you know what I'm saying? That I could, and that I could own and I could be an expert in, oh, you know? And so to me, it became like, oh, you know? So I think that's really where the superpower came in and the sense of purpose also came in. And I think the thing is with this, as you were saying, it's so difficult. My God, it's, it's like so, it's like impossible, really. It's impossible, you know, and, and I think people should know that. But I think without that sense of purpose, I just wouldn't have done it. I just couldn't have done it. And I think once I found it, it was like nobody was going to tell me no. Nobody was going to tell me that, that I was also not onto something or that I wasn't telling the truth. Um, and I think that's the thing. Also, I mean, I have to say, like, and I was telling another friend this, that sense of what I wanted to say about like discrimination, about racism in the academy and a lot of things that I've written about, because I knew that I had a sense of purpose about it and I felt it so strongly, I, I said it regardless of what it, co what it cost me. And in many ways it did, you know, it took me a while to find um, a niche in terms of a, a position. I mean, just so many things that I think now the conversation around diversity and literature and things like that has changed a bit. Um, but, and I think some of our work has been part of that, to be honest with you. Um, but before, you know, it just was clear to me that what I was saying was not very popular. So regardless, I knew that it was something that needed to be said. So it's just all those things together. Well, not only just knowing you have something to say, but also realizing that sometimes our challenges are character building in a way, you know? Yeah. So what, what else motivates you to stay in this space, you know, to create not only like now this litter has changed you, how are you and what motivates you to stay in this space to make this change for others and students? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the, the education is a really important thing and I don't necessarily think academia is, is that, <laughs> you know, I think there's a big difference between education higher education and then academia is like that beast, right? Is that, that, is that, that life that, that really weighs people down. Um, but I think education has always been an important part of my life in regardless of my family was a lot of, a lot of my family were teachers, um, pastors also. Um, so I feel like I've, I grew up seeing the importance of modeling and also like passing things on so that other people could also do what you do so that it's like it's not good enough that it's just you that knows how to do it 
um, but that it's really also about, uh, you know, I always think the best mentor is someone who lets you be more of yourself and not someone who says you need to be a little, little me <laughs> or you need to be just like me. Um, you know, so I, I think what motivates me has been really working with young, with young people, you know, and seeing them catch it too and catch that sense of like this changed how I think about myself or this changed what I think I'm capable of doing now that motivates me that always has motivated me and so I think that's why I stay in persistent because I know that knowledge is power and so if if that is something I can contribute to for someone else further or and not have not have them be a PhD student you know by the time they hear this you know um, then then even better uh, I love that you narrated that, you know, you're not trying to make them like you, but be able to find some of their own voice and their own passion, right? Because that is very important. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the scary thing, not only for us who like are in our PhDs, is like you find certain mentors or certain professors and you want to do something else and they're like, oh, do this, like me. Oh, and Lord. you end up doing <laughs> their work. Yeah, I no, that, yeah. you know, we have to nurture these minds and like you said, the youth and their abilities. You know, you really have to have... Um, a sense of of why you know like almost like humility you know even in, in this knowledge journey and, and learning journey like and I think that's why we all got into this right we always have something to learn uh, including those who might be administrators and people who are heads of departments and and are just like oh I yeah we've been leaving out a huge part of, of what we've been saying we're doing so it's hard to do that <laughs> it's hard to disrupt you know it, it's it's it takes time to to be comfortable doing that i totally agree there's definitely that responsibility there's definitely that understanding that needs to be shed and, and it isn't easy um but once you're in a space or once again you have that courage you have some type of support to be able to because yeah. i know not every space is encouraging or nurturing but you have what and like you said being in this place to know that we are also always trying to learn something, you know, it's mm -hmm. not, yeah. we can't always think that we I know it all because yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, it's like, it is a process that takes mm -hmm. time to not only just learn, but also unlearn a lot of the things that have been taught to us that once again, challenge and block our thinking. And I'm just grateful that I actually, you know, ended up here because I was one of these closed minded, stubborn people. Why? Because you were only, you only focus on what you're taught and what you know versus being open to all of the many worlds and, and experiences that exist and are valuable. Right, right, what are some of the valuable lessons that you learned, not only just being now a professor, but maybe just all throughout your journey? I mean, to be honest, like even in this, this place we're in now with the situation with the pandemic, um, there's a lot that I have had to rethink and do um, and think through even in some of the goals, like research goals that and things that I was trying to do, um, you know, kind of like, we got to go, go, go. We got to get this done. We got to have that, that speaker. We have to, you know, do these things. And I just realized the most important things that we can do is like really invest in what can be sustained, you know, and things that are going to open up doors for people to be able to do things that are sustainable. And I think, you know, I, I know that for myself, um, especially for those of us who do this kind of work, you know, we can get really sucked up into like the hype <laughs> you know like it's like we gotta have that big conference with all those speakers and we gotta have this event or we have to do these things to uh, draw attention to to um to this issue because we gotta be on there we gotta everyone has to see what we're doing you know otherwise we're not gonna be able to justify the grant funds or whatever and um i think this has really helped people rethink you know that the access even to 
to technology, just so many things for our students. Um, I feel like there's so many things now even that people are not going to be able to hide from because you, it's been laid bare before you what that, that inequity is even in our presumptuous ideas about education and like everyone's going to have just Wi-Fi and you know, whatever, you know, I think that that has really like made me think like, what, what about what I am doing is sustainable and something that, that um, others can take with them in the event that there is this sort of really difficult time that we don't have access to all this stuff that we're so used to having. Um, And I think that that also comes from the book project, you know, to be honest, like, that's sort of my takeaway from going through those histories. It's like we we really are a community and a group of storytellers that survived outside of printing presses, outside of these institutions. And even, you know, a lot of those who do like social justice movements about education, those pedagogies come from resilience and resistance throughout years. And they were meant to survive outside of an institution, not not so much much to create new ones. You know, um, so I'm always, I think that's something I'm really thinking about today uh, and, and trying to learn from how to sustain. I think that that is, that is important. I know one way to sustain is your book, like you said, that you're working on side by side. Can you talk to us? Tell, <laughs> tell us you don't think, you know, we're going to buy and support it, oh, but what's going on? You know, we have to. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it hopefully will be out next year. Um, you know how that goes, but yes, yeah, side by side is the story of us empire and Puerto Rico but it's told through the history of youth literature. So it's sort of like how our texts for young people testify to the story of, of the U.S. and, and, and Puerto Rico's and, and, you know, the imperialism. And it takes you, it really does take you from like before the American acquisition to like, for the most part, Hurricane Maria really is where, where I'm at. To a certain extent, even the earthquakes recently, because I was able to add a little something about that. So the book is um, tracing that history and it's looking at writers in the diaspora, but it's also looking at the writers in Puerto Rico from the beginning of textbooks that were created by sort of like the Department of Education. And then also looking at, you know, so, sort of the more contemporary writers here in, in the United States as well, who wrote books to counter stereotypes to um, also, you know, the ways that they maybe reimagine the young adult genre, the way that many times, you know, people like the Young Lords Party also like were creating their own curriculum, you know, so ways that young people as well have served as, as writers and have, um, have written their own ways. And, you know, I always, I always think it's interesting. It's like, to, for, especially for adults, it's like, they're not going to wait for you. They're not going to wait for you. They're doing that work already. You know, they're doing that work already. They will find ways to, to tell those stories and, and to learn. And um, so I, I try to think through some of those issues in the book by looking at these past examples and also current ones. And also the, the idea of like a return, to, a return to storytelling and access to books as well, because especially with the Caribbean and the publishing industry, you know, there, our writers are not you know, are not heard about. Our writers, our books don't travel. Um, and there's reasons for that. It's not just a coincidence, right? Um, so, so yeah, so there's a couple things in that book that I, that I would deal with. I look forward to it. And I hope that there's no delay in that and it comes out and, you know, we're sharing, cause I'm sure it'll be in that department. Um, talking about the diaspora writers, I know you have a poem to share with us today. I do, I do. Um, this is by Judith Ortiz Cofer. 
And I have a little story about her in that um, I was able to communicate with her before she passed away. She was one of these people who I used to write to like while I was in grad school and I hoped to meet her one day and it never worked out. So she passed away before I was able to meet her. So, but um, of all the people, she's the one I kind of identify the most because she was like an English professor too. And, and she got, she got into it with them. You know, she, she called them out on some things, but she was also sort of like English is also my heritage, right? Good or bad. So this is Ju Judith Ortiz Cofer, the Latin Delhi, the Latin Delhi and Ars Poetica. So presiding over a formica counter, plastic mother and child magnetized the top of an ancient register, the heady mix of smells from the open bins of dried codfish, the green plantains hanging in stalks like votive offerings. She is the patroness of exiles, a woman of no age who is never pretty, who spends her days selling canned memories while listening to the Puerto Ricans complain that it would be cheaper to fly to San Juan than to buy a pound of Bustelo coffee here, and to Cubans perfecting their speech of a glorious return to Havana, where no one has been allowed to die and nothing to change until then, to Mexicans who pass through, talking lyrically of dólares to be made in El Norte, all wanting the comfort of spoken Spanish to gaze upon the family portrait of her plain wide face her ample bosom resting on her plump arms, her look of maternal interest as they speak to her and each other of their dreams and their disillusions, how she smiles understanding when they walk down the narrow aisles of her store, reading the labels of packages aloud as if they were the names of lost lovers, suspiros, merengues, the stale candy of everyone's childhood. She spends her days slicing jamón y queso, then wrapping it in the wax paper tied with string plain ham and cheese that would cost less than the AMP, but it would not satisfy the hunger of the fragile old man lost in the folds of his winter coat who brings her list of items that he reads to her like poetry, or the others whose needs she must divine, conjuring up products from places that now exist only in their hearts, closed ports she must trade with. This journey between two places, this understanding and accepting, you know, and just growing up and being in it. And it's crazy because when I found out last semester that this lady that taught at UGA, and I'm like, I'm from Georgia. I'm like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, like why, like why now? And this, like you said, to wait until you're in your PhD to learn of things that have literally been written and sharing like the day in the life, right? Thinking about the, especially the ending of this line, um, the closed porch she must trade with. Like, yeah. do you know, do you, mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever had to feel that you had to maybe stop being Puerto Rican to try to be American? Oh, sis. You know, that's true. Um, of course, I, I, I'm playing with the American uh, such kind of idea in many ways because I want us to always remember the Las Americas, you know, and, and what that really means. So who gets to really own what that term means? But I think so. And I think, you know, we're, I, I think maybe I've gotten to the point too where I just don't care anymore, but um but it's like, you know, even like things as, as, as traditional as like what I know in, in my family to be sort of like, you know, fixing yourself in a, uh, fixing yourself up as a beautiful woman, that kind of thing. Like even that sometimes people 
would sort of say like, oh, don't you need to be more professional? Like maybe you shouldn't wear that red lipstick or those earrings or whatever. And I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, this is, this is my knowledge system. This is, this is who I am. And like, you know, this is my style of feminism and this is what we did to be powerful. And this is how we, this is how we survived all those things. Like we're going to survive you all too. You know, we'll be here. Y'all, y'all, y'all be okay. Like, don't you worry. Um, so I think that's the thing. That's what gives you that edge, you know? And so when you, when you start to feel like you need to change, it's, it's taking away what really makes you you. It's taking away what gives you an advantage, you know? And I think that's the thing. Uh, sometimes we, we're like seen as like these disadvantaged, you know, disadvantaged youth or at risk or whatever in so many ways. And it's like, I just wish we could see how much of an advantage we really have and what we know. Maybe that system is not rewarding us for what we know, um, but we can dream of a, of a time when we can create our own spaces and time uh, and, and, you know, things for us to have the advantage. And we do. Embracing all that we have and all that we are. All of my black and brown people on your way, don't give up because there's many days I want to say <laughs> and quit. But what yeah. keeps me are my black mentors who, especially like the women professors who are just, and they're not in my program, they're just that I know, you know, and are connected with who tell me, don't give up. We need people like you here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, stay absolutely. strong, ladies and gentlemen, because yes. road absolutely. ain't easy, but it'll be worth it. It is not easy, but there's always good people. Like you said, there's always good people that there's people that get you, you know, there's plenty of people that won't, but there's always one or two that will, and that will let you just be you too, that won't do the whole, like, you need to be just like me. I think that it, th that's always a blessing, right? How are you on your way? I think you got me at a good time, uh, because I think that that is, you know, kind of where, what I've been thinking about, right, and sort of leaving behind. We keep talking about going back to normal at this time. And like, we got to go back to normal. We got to go. And I'm telling you right now, I don't want to go back to normal because there's a whole lot of mess that was back there that had to be stopped. Um, so I am wanting to really change um, some of the things and, and sort of complacent habits, things that, that sort of became just the groove of everything. And um, I am wanting to really uh, look for an approach going forward and, and honor the true journey that I, that I believe I wanted to be on from the beginning right so um that's something i'm taking with me um and thankfully was able to tell you in this conversation but also into the you know upcoming projects that i want to do to always go back to the heart of why i've been doing this to begin with um if it's not about that quite frankly i just don't want to do it that's exactly how we need to live and that's um i totally agree with you that this you know abrupt pandemic has also caused us to really shed things that no longer serve us and allow us to be able to propel into who we really want to become so that is beautiful tell the people where can they connect with you and read your work and also support you on oh, your journey yay. yeah um well i do have a twitter profile um it's at marilisa jimenez um it has a link to um an academia site that you can read a lot of my articles uh free <laughs> um and then um there i also have a new instagram <laughs> profile which is like i just realized that that exists now because of all the wonderful lives um and it's at marilisa j323 um and i hope to have a website at some point but uh, you know i gotta figure that out but i'm at 
Lehigh University. So you'll find me on the faculty page in the Department of English. Thank you just so much for sharing your story and just being a part of the change that is needed in this space, you know, breaking down the walls. We are uniting the community with the culture that really, it's like crazy because we feed and learn from the community. So I don't know why we exclude them in this process, but we got to open these doors. We got to break down these barriers and we got to stay true to ourselves. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Thank you so much for like reaching out to me. Thank you. We're always here to, you know, just encourage everybody along their way, wherever you are, just know you are not alone. And until next time, be blessed. (music) 